0: start by reading a uh, paragraph here. It's not from the Word of God. It's just a paragraph to help us begin to think about what we're going to be doing this morning and in the next few weeks as it pertains to the passage that we heard read. Here's a paragraph. Let me read it. Here are these statements. And I want you to think about what is this paragraph talking about? Here it is. A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. At first, it's better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it is easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. If there are no snags, it can be very peaceful. But if it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. Now, On the face of it, those sentences, that paragraph, it's hard to understand what's being referred to. Actually, do any of those sentences have anything to do with the other sentences? We're talking about a seashore. We're, we're talking about running is better than walking. Birds don't get in the way. What is this paragraph all about? Well, to understand that paragraph, you need something, don't you, church? You need context. Those statements by themselves are unhelpful and difficult to understand unless you have context. Context, context, context. It's so important to understand not only that paragraph, but in particular to understanding the text of Scripture that we heard read today. Where we're going next in 1 Timothy chapter 2, if if you don't have context for it, man, you're going to make some really big mistakes. You're going to have a hard time understanding the text itself. See, let me give you that paragraph one more time, but let me give you the context. The paragraph I'm about to read is concerning kite flying. Here's the paragraph. A seashore is a better place than the street because you need lots of room. At first, it's better to run than to walk. You may have to try several times. It takes some skill, but it's easy to learn. Even young children can enjoy it. Birds seldom get too close. If there are no snags, it can be very peaceful. But if it breaks loose, you won't get another chance. Makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. That's about Kite flying. I now understand even the principles that are being encouraged there. Context matters. And context is going to matter today because in 2 Timothy 2, verses 8-15, through Paul's going to be giving some very specific instructions to men and to women within the church. You heard some of them already. I'm sure that's why you laughed when you thought, what's Pastor Dave going to have to say about these things? Women being quiet women dressing a certain way, men lifting holy hands. What's all this about? How are we to understand it? Well, if we're going to rightly understand it, we have to first understand God's glorious design for men and women. If you don't understand God's glorious design for men and women, if we're not grounded in that, then we are going to misapply at best and abuse at worst this text. So here's what's going to happen this morning. We're not going to really spend any time in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Instead, we're going to go all the way back to the first pages of the Bible, to the book of Genesis. So I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Today, at every level of education, in every arena of our government, and in our media, the very idea of male and female, men and women let alone any distinction between the sexes. It's considered out of touch and out of date at best. And as Christians, we're so bombarded with ideas about sex and gender, and these ideas that are presented today with such force that one can be left to wonder what is actually true and what's not. And so that's why we're going to ground ourselves We're going to ground ourselves in what God has to say rather than what we think, rather than what Scripture tells us. And for to do that, we go to His Word. And so when you turn to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. Let me read it for you. It's there on the screen. Hopefully you can follow along. It says this Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard that passage read. You've probably studied that passage. But we're coming back to it this morning because when it comes to understanding humanity, when it comes to understanding men and women, this text is essential. And when you read it, and we just read it and take it in as it is. We don't have to fluff it up. We don't have to nuance it. When we read it as it is, the very first thing that should stand out to you from this text, something that I don't believe is very controversial if you are a believer in God and a follower of Jesus Christ, is this point. It's point number one. We are created by God. <gasps> Shocker, right? No, right? Like the text explicitly says we are created Human beings, male and female, were created by God. Not much of a shock there. And by the way, if you're taking notes this morning, we're only going to cover the first section of notes. That whole bottom section that says God's instructions to men, just cross it out, save it for next week. That's what we're going to look at, okay? I changed things up a little bit. We're created by God. Now, while not controversial to a Christian, this does fly, that one simple statement flies in the face of current evolutionary theory that is being promoted and has been promoted for the last century within academia. Evolutionary theory says there is not a God, there is not a designer. We came about by what? Chance. Now, science believes, like we believe, that there was a time, I shouldn't say science, scientists believe, evolutionary scientists believe that there was a time when the world did not exist, when the universe did not exist. We believe that too. They believe that there is a moment, any scientist will tell you this, when the universe came into existence. Well, we believe that too. What science doesn't have an answer for is how that came about, but that's where we do have an answer. We believe that we became about, we came about because God created us. He literally spoke it into existence. We are God made. The universe did not come about. By chance. It came about because God created it. We're not evolved. We, human beings, are part of the creation, and God intentionally created us. And this is where then the text leads us into something very profound. We are made in God's image. Not just simply did God create us, but the text tells us, let us make man. In our image. In the image of God, he created them. What? Male and female, he created them. We are made in the image of God. You're about to see here in a moment how that statement, which we talk about often in a church and its importance, has significant real-world application today. But let me just break down the statement. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because I've talked about it enough. To be made in the image of God means that we are representatives of God, mirror reflections of Him. We are representatives of God. That's what it means to be made in God's image. He created us to be reflections of Him. And that means, second point, we are unlike anything else in creation. We are not evolved beings. We are not animals. We were made distinct from the beginning to represent God. This is so important to our right understanding of humanity. You're not here by mistake, number one. You're here as a representative of God because you've been made in His image. Evolutionary theory comes and says, we're just made up of the same stuff as everybody else. The truth is, we're not. We are made, each human being, in the image of God. We're not animals. Psalm 8, 3-5 says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Glory and honor. God has not given that to anything else in creation, but he's given it to us. Understanding that you are made in God's image, which makes you unlike anything else in all creation, leads to this second point. We are, listen to me, because we are made in God's image, we are equal in worth and value. Being made in the image of God places upon every human being, regardless if they are male or female, because both have been made in the image of God, equal in worth and in value. There's a text, just a little bit later in Genesis, that shows how important it is that human beings have been made in God's image. And that gets to this point that we are equal in worth and value. That men are not more created in the image of God and therefore worth more or more valuable than women, or that women created in the image of God are worth more than men, Each are equally image bearers of God. And so in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, Noah has just experienced the flood with his family in the ark. God's wiped the earth clean. He's starting over again. And he tells Noah and his family to fill the earth and subdue it. He gives the same creation um, command to Noah that he gave to Adam and Eve. But then he talks about something. He talks about, What are we to do in a fallen world when one human being kills another human being? And God says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Did you know that text was in the Bible? Did you know that what God is doing here is he is saying, when you look at another human being, you're looking at an image bearer of me. And if you destroy an image bearer of me, your life is forfeit. Why? Because if a human being's life is taken by another human being's life, that life has worth and value. And the only thing that can be of equal punishment for taking that life is to take the other person's life who did it. What God is getting at is this. The punishment for the destruction of a human life, it's always the same because all human beings are made in the image of God. It's not that if you murder somebody who looks different than you, your life isn't forfeit. No, your life is forfeit if you kill another human being because God says your worth and your value is grounded in me making you in my image. I don't think that most Christians struggle with the idea of being made in the image of God, or that God created us. I think most of us understand that, but I want you now to hear me on something. If you embrace this, and if you believe this to be true, it has a huge real-world application today. It even, that one simple truth, believing that you've been made in the image of God, actually today, because of things happening in the world, gives you an avenue for sharing the gospel. And if you believe that to be true, what's happening in the world today actually should bolster your confidence that this word is true and living by this word and not by the world standard is what everyone needs. Let me explain. Unless your head's been in the sand, you know that over the last few weeks, the thing that has dominated the news is that Russia has invaded the Ukraine. Vladimir Putin... Has been pushing Russian forces to take over the country of the Ukraine. And what's been remarkable is that on the right and on the left, conservative, liberal, Western people almost without fail, I've heard it from politicians, I've heard it from people in the media. I've heard it from entertainers. Across the board, as people have watched Vladimir Putin invade the Ukraine, here's the one refrain that people have continued to be saying. They continue to wag their finger and say what Vladimir Putin is doing in invading the Ukraine and shelling and killing civilians, that is wrong. There is a swell of moral indignation in the West no matter what your political affiliation is, where the people have come and said, Vladimir Putin should not be doing what he's doing. It's wrong. Now, I want you to know today, I wholeheartedly agree with that moral indignation. What Vladimir Putin is doing is absolutely wrong. Not just simply invading that country, but killing individuals. It's just, it's wrong. Now, if you're a Christian based on everything that I've just said in the text of Genesis up to this point, you have absolute perfect grounds to be able to come and to say, that is wrong. That's horrible. Putin is acting evil. He's wicked. This is wrong. If you're a Christian, you should be very clear and proud to be able to say, yes, this is wrong. You shouldn't do what he's doing. But here's where I have a question. As I've been watching, not just Christians say that, but people across the board, people who don't believe in God, who don't believe in God's word, coming and saying that it's wrong, I have a question for them. It's a question that you could ask your friend or your neighbor who doesn't go to church or doesn't believe in God. You could look at them and you could say, what do you think about what's happening in Russia? And most likely, your friend will say, Oh, it's not good. That's an interesting word, by the way. It's not good. It's wrong. I mean, Putin, he's, he's evil in what he's doing. And you would look at that person and say, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's evil. It's wrong. He shouldn't be doing it. I have a question, though. Like, I believe in God. Uh, I believe in God's word, and I believe that every human being has been made in the image of God. <clears throat> and because people are made in the image of God, like, that's why I believe it's wrong. You shouldn't kill people because they're image bearers of God. But why do you believe it's wrong? You see, here's the thing, church. Now, don't do what I'm about to do. But I want to look at people who are coming on television and on social media and posting how it's so wrong what Putin is doing. I want to, I want to look at them and I want to say, how dare you? How dare you deny the God of the Bible, and deny his word and come and tell me that what Putin is doing is wrong? On what authority, on what grounds can anyone outside of those who believe in God and believe his word, can anyone say that what Putin is doing is evil and wrong? Because I'm here to tell you, science can't get you there. If they come and they say it's evil and it's wrong, I want to say, why do you believe it's wrong? You can't believe it's wrong. Because if you believe that there's not a God and that his word is not true, then what is the grounds for one life being worth more than another life? What's wrong with killing other people? If we are, according to evolutionary theory, just stardust, those who have simply evolved over time, if we're just more advanced animals... How dare we come and say that Putin doesn't have grounds for doing what he's doing? Are you tracking with me? Like, people have lost their minds. They don't even realize the foolishness of what they're saying, that they're making moral statements about what Putin is doing in Russia, yet they have no grounds for their morality. Because science can't get you there. Disney put out a documentary on chimpanzees, and you're like, where's he going with this? Bear with me, I'll get there. Disney put out a documentary on chimpanzees, And this documentary showed how one chimpanzee colony adopted a baby chimpanzee from another colony that had disappeared. And it's just a sweet documentary, and look at how they brought it in as their own. What the documentary doesn't tell you, but the people of the documentary said was, the reason why that baby was an orphan monkey was because, guess what? That chimpanzee colony came in and slaughtered all the other chimpanzees in that colony. Listen. According to science, monkeys are just fighting monkeys right now over in Russia. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that Putin is doing what he's doing? There's no grounds for it. Science can't get you there. And you know what else can't get you there? Philosophy philosophy, no matter how hard they try, cannot argue for morality based on an absolute truth. The best that I found that that philosophy can get us to is to argue for the fact that, well, human beings matter because they have a greater capacity than other elements in the universe. So you have a capacity to reason. You have self-consciousness. You have the capacity to make and to do things. And so your value and your worth is based upon your capacity do you hear what slippery slope that could lead to? Like, we should care about what's happening to the Ukrainian people because they're people with capacity. They can show love for one another. They can, who cares what they can do? They're not made in the image of God. Like I said, they're monkeys fighting monkeys. They're just animals. It's survival of the fittest. If you believe what philosophy says that, you know what, we should care about human beings because of capacity. As Peter Singer, he's a Princeton professor. He's got some problems. But he is the only one who says the the quiet thing out loud. He says that's why abortion is okay. Because the baby in the womb doesn't have the capacity that you or I have as a grown adult. But you know where that thought gets really scary? What about the mentally handicapped person? What worth is their life? Should we care about them? They don't have as much capacity as you or me. What about the little kid? What about the infirmed elderly person? Are you tracking with me? Today is a day where as the people of God, when we come to a very simple truth, like we have been created in the image of God, that actually gives you grounds to think to yourself, wow, look what's happening in the world That truth of being made in God's image actually should give me great confidence today that I can stand and say, that's wrong. But oh, my heart aches for all those people who are arguing that it's wrong, and yet they do not see that they live their lives off of a faulty system, that they don't actually function rationally. Because if they were rational people, if there's no God, then why do we care what's happening in the Ukraine? Are you with me on this? You should have confidence in God. You should have confidence in his word. And it should matter to us greatly that we embrace the truth that we are made in the image of God because it gives us the grounds. It gives us the grounds to come and say, without us being made in the image of God, how dare you say that Putin is evil? How dare you say what he's doing is wrong because there's no grounds for you doing so? Oliver Wendell Holmes, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court way back in the day. He said the quiet thing out loud when he said, Scientifically, I see no reason for attributing to a man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or a grain of sand. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. This is what you are left with. And so G.K. Chesterton, a Christian theologian, apologist, writer, he wrote this. This was decades and decades ago that he wrote it. He says, the secular person goes first to a political meeting where he complains the natives are being treated as if they were beasts. Then he goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that all human beings are actually beasts. That's what's happening today. You can't have it both ways. Chesterton, so long ago, came and said, don't you see? People are arguing today on social media. Look at all the worth and the value for the life of the Ukrainians. And yet in academia and in government, they're putting forth that in reality, we're no different than animals. Church, we accept and we believe that you have worth and you have value because you have been made as an image bearer of God. We're created by Him, made as His image. And we function from a place where that should give us confidence as we engage the world and try and show the world the futility of their thinking. We are the rational ones, we are the logical ones. Which leads to this next point. God says something else about humanity in Genesis 1. And that is that we are created male or female. We're made in his image, but notice we're made in his image. Male or female, he created them. When God created humanity, he created two distinct types of human beings. Male and female, both image bearers both of equal worth and value, but as we're going to see, ultimately distinct. He created two sexes. We see this in all other areas of the creation, but, but specifically when it comes to humanity, God created male and female. The crazy thing is, scientists today don't disagree with this distinction. When the scientists look at humanity, they agree with the Bible. They agree that hum- human beings will either have XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes, those are the only two types of human beings that biologically exist. And if you have XY chromosomes, you're going to be a male. And if you have XX chromosomes, you're going to be a female. On a cellular level, when you run the test, this is what you will always and only come back with. And those chromosomal differences show themselves in our primary sex characteristics and in our secondary sex characteristics. What I mean by that is this. When you look at a man with XX chromosomes and a woman with a XY chromosomes, what you'll discover is that our sexual reproductive systems are different from each other. Those are our primary sex characteristics. And beyond that, in our secondary sex characteristics, you'll see that men typically are taller than women. Men have broader shoulders than women. Men will have a thousand times more testosterone on average than a woman. We are male. We are female. Those are the only two categories of sexes that exist. From our bodies down to our cells, the biological sex of those who are born as a male or born as a woman are on display. Any doctor knows this, and the fact of the matter is, a male today can make himself look like a female. You can do things to your body, in fact, try and change, to only a certain degree, your primary sex characteristics. You can remove things to, from your body as a man or as a, as a woman that try and demonstrate that you want to look like a female if you're a male or look like a male if you're a female. You can do things to your bodies, but at the end of the day, no matter what you do to your body, when you die and they check your chromosomal design, you will die A male or you will die a female no matter how much you try and change any of your sex characteristics so the Bible says we are male or female and science shows us that this is true but now here's where things get a little confrontational or I should say controversial because this binary distinction of male and female exists there are those who struggle in our world with identifying themselves as either male or female. While born as a male or born as a female, there are those who think or believe that they are not in the correct body. And so we have this debate today that says a person's gender is not connected to their biological sex. So... Gender is what we refer to as the characteristics of a person that represent their sexual identity, either male or female. So so gender is what you ultimately display to the world. And and so what, what society has done is they've tried to say, well, listen, you can be born a male, but ultimately have a gender identity that says, I... I don't believe I am a male. I I am a female. And, And to display that as, well, I'm not a man. I am a woman. And so this dilution of God's design is on full display today. Culture comes to us and says, listen, the ideas of gender, ideas of manhood and womanhood, men and women, that's just a social construct. What matters is what you believe yourself to be. Well, the Bible comes to us and says this, a person's sex determines gender. Just as there are only two sexes, male and female, so too there are only two genders. There is a gender of a man and a gender of a woman, and it's tied directly to your sex. And you cannot break those things apart. If you are born a male, you are to live as a man. If you are born a female, you are to live as a woman. In Genesis chapter 1, we are described as male and female, adjectival forms of the word, male and female. When you come to Genesis chapter 2, and I don't have time to dive into this that deeply, we go from being described in adjectival form to being described as nouns, men and women. Look at this Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. God created male and he created female. And then in Genesis 2, he says, Therefore a man who is a male shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The Bible doesn't give other categories. Who God has created you as male is to be represented in how you live your life as a man. If God created you as a female, you are to live your life as a woman. Gender is tied to sex. What I just said there is controversial today. What I just said there goes against, well, the World Health Organization doesn't believe what I just said. Planned Parenthood does not agree with that definition. Gender is something that's fluid. You can identify however you feel. God says that goes against my design. That goes contrary to the way that I have designed the world to be. It's not a social contract, it's something that God built literally into His plan for humanity. The fact that you cannot change the chromosomal makeup of who you are should be every indication to us that what God has implemented on you is the way that you are to be and to live. A person's gender is tied to their sex. If we don't get that, then we won't understand what I'm about to say next. You see, male and female, created by God, God also created us distinct from each other. We're distinct from each other. Male and female are obviously not interchangeable. Not only is our biology different, not only are we physically different, But as you look at the rest of the Bible, God gives different roles to men and to women to live out those roles. Boys become men who become husbands, who become fathers. And even in the text that we're going to see in Genesis, or in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, God's going to be giving very specific instructions to men, and they're going to differ from the instructions that he gives to women. Why? Because he says, while each are made equally in the image of God, I created them distinct and to function in different ways. And so when you come to Genesis 2, you see that distinction on display. Adam is formed first. Adam is given the responsibility of naming all the creatures in creation, including the woman, the naming of something that that role was given to Adam is a sign of leadership and of of headship that ultimately plays out when God creates Eve in Genesis 2, and he says, I want to make a helper suitable for Adam. That idea of a helper indicates that there are things that are going to be unique to Adam, and there are things that are going to be unique to Eve, and that men and women are gonna to need to function together because they're distinct. Each one needs the other to ultimately live out the image of God in the world. And man, I think about this, this is just so amazing. When God says that He made Eve as a helper for Adam, that so often gets abused because the idea that some people run to is that because Eve is the helper. She is less than Adam. Now, we already saw in Genesis chapter 1 that a woman cannot be less than a man. She can't be less than a man because why? Each one is made what? In the image of God, of equal worth and value. What that's being referred to is there's a distinction there between Adam and between Eve and how they will function in the world. Yes, women might be physically less strong than men, but check this out. The word that God uses to describe Eve as a helper is the same word for helper that he uses throughout the Old Testament to refer to himself as the helper of Israel. Did you know that? When God says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for Adam, That same word for helper is the same word that God uses to refer to himself as the helper of Israel. We should hear that and read that and think, how dare we ever come and think for one moment that a woman would be less than a man— That's why we can affirm that they have equal worth and equal value and although they might have different roles, how dare we ever think that one role is greater than the other role because each has been made in the image of God and when Eve was created as a helper for Adam, God takes that same word and applies it to himself when he talks about being a helper for his people. It's two puzzle pieces coming together but church, we must see that distinction exists. Men and women are not interchangeable. Physically, they're not interchangeable. And in the roles that God gives, as we're going to see in First Timothy, it's not interchangeable. But that doesn't mean that one is greater than the other. It just means that they are distinct according to God's perfect plan and are to equally be celebrated with value and worth because they've been made in the image of God. And the only reason, the only reason today why we see humanity fighting against God's design, looking at God's design of male and female and saying, no, there's other categories. No, that's not right. No, you can be whoever you feel like you are. The very reason why we see men and women battling against the distinct roles that God has created for men and women to have is summed up in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, where it says that we take what we know to be true of God and we suppress it. We want to overthrow God. We want to live our way, not according to His way. It's the reality that we live in a fallen world. Why is there such gender confusion today? Why is there so much turmoil between the sexes? It ultimately stems from the fact that sin is a part of our world. And in our hearts... We're sinners by birth and then by choice. We don't want to accept God's good design. But I'm here to tell you today that when you do accept his design, when we actually do put his word in context, when you do embrace these things, there is joy to be found. There's not just joy to be found. There's there's rationality to be found. Think of the inconsistency in our world today where a group of people are coming and saying, boys can be girls, girls can be boys. We shouldn't keep someone from wanting to transition from one gender to another. How dare you say that it's wrong to do so? Those same people who are claiming the absolute truth and the righteousness of allowing a person to make their own decisions over their own body are the same people who are on the news every day saying how evil and how wrong it is for Russia to be invading the Ukraine. That is madness. What gives them the ground to say one thing or the other? There's an inconsistency versus us. As the people of God we cling to this. We cling to God's glorious design and it grounds us. It gives us a clarity. It gives us an ability to engage the world and say, don't live according to your ways. Don't live according to to the the way that you think things should be because if you do, there's an inconsistency there. There's no foundation. The floor falls out from underneath you versus come to God and to come to his word. Embrace him. Church, what I want you to hear from me today is this. Listen if you're a Christ follower, if you cling to the word of God, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. You have the truth. You have the light. You have the thing that makes sense in the world. Those out there who don't embrace the design of God, well, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do not embrace God's design, who reject him, they will not get the blessing of God and his presence and his kingdom. And so Paul says, do not be deceived. Neither, and now he's going to tell you who those are that are rejecting God's design. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The path to destruction is throwing off God's design. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says this to any one of us who at any point in our lives have thrown away God's design and have embraced our own way. He says this, verse 11, it's powerful. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That is the hope in the midst of all of this. We have the hope of Jesus Christ who comes into a world like ours, people who have rejected the design of God and says, yes, maybe you've rejected it, but God's not done with you yet. Christ can transform you. You can come to his truth. Look to Christ and live. What amazing hope we have. Because I'm here to say that it's not just those outside that often reject the design of God. When we look at the truth of the word, we can look at the things happening in our culture and we can say, that's crazy what they're doing. Look at how they're rejecting God's glorious design no sooner do we say that than each one of us could look at this past week and identify an area in our life where we rejected the design of God for us. And how desperately we too need the hope of Christ that comes and says, and such were some of you. When we confess our sins, when we fail to live according to God's design, we find a forgiveness, the same forgiveness that exists for those who have turned from Christ. May we go out into the world church. To knowing the truth, living in the truth, offering the truth and the hope that Jesus Christ is able to take and to transform those who have lived in darkness and bring them into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Lord, these truths from your word are so simple on one level you created us, you made us in your image, we have equal worth, we have value, we're male and we're female. Lord, just those statements by themselves, like they're not that controversial, but Lord, as we plumb the depths of it, there is a wisdom in your design, there is a beauty in your plan that hits us in all these different ways as we live in the world today. And so Lord, help us to be a people who don't just simply hear these things and Lord, just pass over them, but truly take them in and to use these truths as a means of engaging the world around us in a winsome way but speaking the truth so that men and women might turn from the rejection of you and your design for the world and embrace that design through the hope offered in Jesus Christ who comes and redeems those, including ourselves, who have rejected you. Lord, help us cling to those words, and such were some of you, but you have made us new. Continue that transformation, and Lord, allow that transformation to help us to embrace the sometimes hard things that you have to say, that often go against culture and go against our own feelings. For the praise and glory of your name, we ask it. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen.